We face threats at every level. Personally, I was probably one of 10 or 15 people just in our classroom who got stuck. Communally, we can confirm a bomb blast in a Christian suburb. Nationally, all civilian aircraft grounded from Los Angeles here to the East Coast. And globally, Bin Laden uh, have sought uh, nuclear materials and uh, bring on board uh, scientists who could help him devise an improvised nuclear device. There are severe threats to our security, but no amount of protection can guarantee us long-term safety if our relationship with God is not secure. The biggest threat faced by everyone is the danger of separation from God. Jesus Christ died for your sins to give you eternal life. When you accept his forgiveness and turn to him, your eternal future is assured. The following briefing is not classified. It should be distributed to as many people as possible. Stand by for further instruction. Let's open our Bibles this morning to Joshua chapter 24. And join me as we have a word of prayer. Our Father, we, we come here, Father, with a, a lot of different experiences from our week, conversations we've had, issues that we face But, Father, we have come together in this place to hear your word and what your will is for our lives concerning the issue that we have been facing in this series. Thank you for the security that we find in Christ. Thank you that our own soul can be eternally made sure by that trust that we have in you, by the work you've done on the cross. Lord, we pray you'd secure our our homes, our families as well. And I pray that you'd show us individually how we're to do that. In Jesus' name, amen. I don't play dominoes. In fact, I really don't even know how the game works. But some of you do. How many of you play dominoes out there and know how it works? See, to me, that's a surprising number. I didn't know. I mean, the only thing I know about dominoes, you stand them next to each other and they fall down. But I did discover there's an international federation of dominoes, that it's a serious sport. Now, I'm not even good at most games. My wife could tell you to get me to play a game in our house is very difficult. But I also discovered that domino toppling is a sport and that there are several websites and organizations of people who get together and stand dominoes up only to watch them fall. I mean, it's like serious business. In fact, there are world records that are being set and being broken. The last time it was set was November 17, 2006, in Lee Warden, Holland, where they set up and toppled 4,400,000 dominoes. This, I didn't know this until this week. This is like a newsflash to me. Some people take it so seriously, and there's associations in every country for this, that one time they did a live simulcast where they had several countries involved. That is, we would set it up in the United States, and hundreds of thousands of dominoes would fall. The last one to fall would tip off another set in another country. When that's done, it would set up. There were like five, six different countries involved. Now, when I found this out, you know the one thing I thought? These people have way too much time on their hands. (laughs) Anyway, that game of domino toppling has led to a phrase that is even a part of our vernacular. 
It's the domino effect. The domino effect is a chain of small events that lead to a large event, usually a catastrophe. And as we saw last week, passive parenting or absent parenting can lead to a detrimental and a domino effect. I discovered something in my research this week that that term, the domino effect, is used by several people to deal with the very issue we're studying. I'll give you a sampling only. Terence Holmes wrote a paper for Johnston Smith University talking about this very issue of passive parenting and absent fathers. He said the domino effect of this is that fathers are vanishing from families. Unattached males are the cause of many of today's social ills. Here's another quote. There was a book called The Pearls of Wisdom, and here's a book review on that book. Uh, Pearls of Wisdom, subtitled Surviving Against All Odds, written by Marie Davis. The book hosts five different women who tell their stories about abandonment and neglect or abuse. And this person says the book shows how the domino effect can throw a life out of control. There's that phrase again. And finally, this article entitled Resolving Child Support System in America, all about a father's absence, says by fixing this problem, you're fixing a major problem which has caused and created a domino effect in the world. So how do you stop the dominoes? How do you keep those chains of events from ruining families to happen? Well, I can tell you how they stop it in real-life dominoes. When you stand them up, these people who do domino toppling, it's like their big deal. They tell you it's all about placement. It's all about positioning. You can't have the next domino too close or too far. It has to be angled just right. Otherwise, it will stop the chain reaction. How do you stop the dominoes relationally from falling? Today we want to look at that. In fact, what we want to do is look at the positive side. Last week we kind of took the negative side of this, and and you ought to know something. There's really good news. The dominoes can be stopped. All of the research shows that just a little bit of involvement, a little bit of right placement, can mean all the difference in the world. Homes can be secure. Research that was done by the Christian Businessmen Committee found this. When a father is an active believer, there is a 75% likelihood that the children will also become active believers. That is great news. That's monumental. When a father is an active believer, a 75% likelihood that the children will become likely to become active believers. Look with me at chapter 24 of Joshua, verse 14 and 15. Now therefore, fear the Lord. Serve Him in sincerity and in truth. And put away the gods which your fathers served on the other side of the river and in Egypt. Serve the Lord. And if it seems evil to you to serve the Lord... Choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve, whether the gods which your fathers served that were on the other side of the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But 
As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. It seems that Joshua saw a domino effect of sorts happening in his day. A domino effect toward idolatry. He saw it. He was warning against it. And he, on that day, made a stand to stop the dominoes from falling. Briefly, it was done this way. It took a strong man with a straight message at a strategic moment. And same today, it takes a a strong woman or a strong man, a leader in a family system, with a straight message, the message of truth, at a strategic moment. Let's begin back in verse 1 for just a moment and look at Joshua as a person, Joshua as the chairman of this nation. Then Joshua gathered all the tribes of Israel to Shechem and asked for the elders of Israel, for their heads, for their judges, for their officers, and they presented themselves before God. We figure that at this point, by the way, this is Joshua's last State of the Union message as the leader of that country. He's about, or at least, a hundred years old, so he, he deserves to be listened to. He took over for Moses when he was 80 years old. He died at age 110, and this is his final message as the chairman of that nation, the general of Israel's armed forces, the um, head of homeland security of the nation of Israel. Notice that he went to Shechem, it says in verse 1. Now, to help you out geographically, Shechem is right in the middle of the country of Israel, right in the center. And I believe he took them to Shechem because of the spiritual implications of that place. Rich historical background. Abraham, you may remember, built an altar to God at Shechem. Jacob reaffirmed his commitment to God at Shechem. And so he brings them to that place that held historical, spiritual significance. And he approaches them and gives them this final message that comprises chapter 3 or 23 and 24. What I want you to notice, though, is the priorities of this man. Though he is the general, though he is the chairman of the country, he does not approach them as the military leader of three million people or as the civic leader but rather as the the leader of a family. The way he phrases it reveals that. As for me and my house, in verse 15, he says. The word house is the Hebrew word bait, and it means household or family. It's not really a structure. He's not saying, as for me and these four walls that I live in, he's speaking about his people, his family. It's a common Hebrew word that can mean a lot of things. Um, In the Bible, you read about Bethel, the place Bethel, Beit El, the house of God, or Bethlehem, Beit Lechem, the place of bread, the, the place where bread, wheat was grown in Israel. As for me and my household, my family. Now, why does he do that? Why, instead of saying, I am your leader, I am your general, He just says, as for me and my house. Because Joshua understood that families shape moral character in a nation. You set the temperature of the nation in the home. He knew that. 
He knew that a a nation is either strengthened or weakened by families. Strong families, strong nation, weak families, unraveled families, unraveled nation. I read something this week, an interesting article, interesting but sad. There's an entrepreneur in Japan who saw a need in his country. And uh, he decided that he would meet that need in a very unusual way. What he noticed is a large number of lonely, isolated people within family systems, especially the elderly. And so he decided to create a product, if you will, a, a way to fix that need, a relief by fantasy. For 150,000 yen, which is about $1,400 U.S., his company will provide three trained stand-in family members who will come to your house for three hours. 1400 bucks, three people, three hours. And they'll be your family. Now, you hear that and you go, this guy must be broke. Nobody would sign up for that service. Well, you'd be wrong. There's a waiting list for that service. The article reads, Rent a family works like this. The hired actors play the roles of children, grandchildren, daughters, sons-in-law, whatever the clients require. Normally they just sit around and talk. But often the clients berate their pretend children for leaving them so alone and sad. Why has this unusual scheme caught on? The founder of this, Mr. Kararu Inoue says, quote, There are lots of old people who feel sad because everyone is chasing money and no one is paying any attention to the human spirit. The rat race is very lonely. And whenever you pursue material gain at the expense of meaningful relationship, this is what you have left. And so Joshua, this general, this national leader, this civic leader, makes a stand as a member of his own family, saying, as for me and my house, that is his priority. Now, we touched on this, but one commentator says in reading Joshua 23 and 24, the nation must have already be hankering toward idolatry at this point. They, they must have certainly been falling backwards to following other gods at this point because of the language that Joshua uses in making this stand. So he wants to stop the domino effect toward idolatry. Let's look at the challenge that that Joshua has for his people. And here here are the how-tos. Here's how you stop the dominoes relationally. First of all, you need to choose. You'll notice in verse 15, Joshua says, Choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve. Now, 14 and 15, these are the two verses we looked at. And and you'll notice in verse 14 it says, Now therefore, and you know me, if you've heard me for any length of time, you know that whenever there's a therefore, it's always good to find out what it's there for. You don't begin a thought. Now therefore, you, you have it attached to a previous thought. And it is indeed. In fact, Joshua's encouragement for them to make a choice is based upon what he tells them in 13 verses. Verses 1 through 13. Joshua gives them 400 years of their own history and says, Think about all that God has done for you. Now, therefore, 
make this choice. I want you to see it. I want you to see the emphasis in it. Look at verse 2. Joshua said to all the people, Thus says the Lord God of Israel, Your fathers, including Terah, the father of Abraham, the father of Nahor, dwelt on the other side of the river in old times, and they served other gods. Then I took your father Abraham from the other side of the river and led him through all the land of Canaan and multiplied his descendants and gave him Isaac. To Isaac, I gave Jacob and Esau. To Esau, I gave the mountains of Seir to possess. But Jacob and the children went down to Egypt. Also, I sent Moses and Aaron, and I plagued Egypt according to what I did among them. Afterward, I brought you out. And then I brought your fathers out of Egypt, and you came to the sea, and the Egyptians pursued your fathers with chariots and horsemen to the Red Sea. And so they cried out to the Lord, and he put darkness between you and the Egyptians and brought the sea upon them and covered them. And your eyes saw what I did in Egypt. Then you dwelt in the wilderness a long time. And I brought you into the land of the Amorites who dwelt on the other side of the Jordan, and they fought with you. But I gave them into your hand that you might possess their land, and I destroyed them from before you. And then Balak, the son of Zippor, the king of Moab, arose to make war against Israel and sent and called Balaam, the son of Beor, to curse you. But I would not listen to Balaam, therefore he continued to bless you. So I delivered you out of his hand. Then you went over the Jordan and came to Jericho, and the men of Jericho fought against you. Also the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Girgashites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites and whatever other ites he may have left out. But I delivered them into your hand. I sent the hornet before you, which drove them out from before you, also the two kings of the Amorites. But not with your sword or with your bow, I have given you a land for which you did not labor, and cities which you did not build, and you dwell in them. And you eat of the vineyards and the olive groves which you did not plant. Notice the emphasis. I brought you. I delivered you. I took you. I fought for you. You didn't do it. I did. Now, verse 14. Now, therefore. I want you to see that. Because he's calling them to choose this day. And it's based upon all that God has done. So here's how it works. Look at the miraculous hand of God that for 400 years brought you to this place this day. Therefore, choose this day whom you will serve. You see, the commitment he's telling them to make is based logically as a response on what God has done for them. So I wonder, I wonder if the same couldn't be said for us. I wonder if perhaps... God hasn't arranged things up to this point and brought you today to this point to make a choice that will alter your marriage, your family, your home forever. He calls them to choose this day whom they will serve. By the way, by now you should know that every time you hear a message, every time you hear a sermon, a tape, something on the radio, read quiet time on your own, 
at every one of those little meetings, you and I are called to make a choice to change our behavior by the help and will of God based upon what it is we hear, what God has done. That's always the way it ought to be. That's how, that's how Paul the Apostle wrote the New Testament. You think of his pattern in the book of Romans. He spends 11 chapters telling people what God did for them. Then in chapter 12 he says, I beseech you, therefore, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies holy and acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable, logical service. Romans 12.1 So Joshua is calling on them to make a choice. And what is the choice that he calls them to make? Notice. Now, therefore, fear the Lord. You could translate that. Honor God. Reverence Him, respect Him, honor Him, and serve Him in sincerity and in truth. So it begins with a personal commitment to God and to God's pattern according to truth for you and for your family. That's where it begins. To honor God, that's your intention, and to live a life that is according to truth, sincerity, wholeheartedness, and truth. I wonder if you've ever stated that intention to your family. I wonder if you've ever gotten them together at at any juncture and, and said, Sweetheart, kids, I just want to reaffirm something. This house is set apart for God's glory. We want to honor the Lord. I was talking this week to John Fuller on the phone. John Fuller, you may recognize his name. He's the co-host every day with Jim Dobson on Focus on the Family. John Fuller sits across the desk from James Dobson, and they discuss the issues and trends of the day. And I said, John, how many kids you got? He says, I have six children, five at home, one in college. So I said, John, what's it like? How does what you hear and see, all the negative trends with the family and politics and stuff that you see and talk about every day, how does that affect you when you come home to those five kids? He didn't think about it very long. In other words, he had the answer right on his lips. He said, it makes me far more intentional in my parenting. That was a good word. I thought about that. Intentional parenting. And what is the intention? To honor God. Somebody once said, a child is not likely to find a father in God unless he finds something of God in his father. Now, it doesn't matter if you're a single mom, a single dad, or you have a family that's intact. As soon as you choose to make that your intention, you're going to have all of the resources of heaven at your disposal. And you need them. Psalm 127 says, Unless the Lord builds the house, they labor in vain who build it. You, you can't pull off this assignment in your own power in your own strength. You need all of God's resources. And as soon as you say, I want my life and my home to honor God, God will say, I'll partner with you on that. God will partner with any parent who will honor Him. So the need to choose. Second, there is a need to separate. Notice, continue to read, it says, And put away the gods which your fathers served. What's he talking about? Idols, false gods. They were already leaning in that direction. 
familiar with all the little idols that people worshipped in that region. Put them away, he says. Now, maybe you're hearing that and you're thinking, this has nothing at all to do with me, Skip. I don't have any idols around my house. I don't have little statues that I bow down to or pray in front of. I don't grovel in front of false gods. Well, that's good. But you know by now that an idol is more than that. An idol is simply a replacement for God. Anything or any ideology that replaces God as a priority can certainly become an idol. So I ask you, what's the most important thing in your life? What is your priority? Because I want to tell you something. Whatever it is, I bet your kids know what it is. I bet your kids already know. If they're at any age to draw conclusions, it doesn't matter what you tell them. You could say God is number one, but they know if that's true or not. They know where those priorities lie. He says, put away the gods which your fathers served. Now, if you'll allow me to stretch that just a little bit for our context this morning, you might even say, put away the baggage that you got from your parents, the way you were raised. Well, the reason I'm so angry is, or the reason I'm so detached and aloof is, I am the way I am because my dad did and my mom did and I'm a victim of. And you know what? All of that is legitimate. It is. It's true. We are who we are, largely by how we were raised. However, now that you know that about yourself, and now that you have Jesus living in you and the Holy Spirit living in you, change. You can't hold on to that baggage, that old life. Well, I have an angry temper because, you know, I'm Italian. Or I got that Latino blood, you know. Or I'm Irish. Or I'm... Every people group has something. No, you are that way because you're a fallen human being like the rest of us. And there comes a point where you have to say, that's over now. I'm going to separate from that. That's behavior. Remember, in domino toppling, it's all about placement. Remove yourself from that. You can do it because of what God has done in you and because of what you know about yourself. So I wonder if you could just imagine the difference it would make if at some point, moms, dads, you were to take your family and you were to make a statement like this. We're going to make changes around here. In fact, the change is going to begin in my life. I want you to know that daddy's career or daddy's hobbies or watching television or football, probably the wrong day to bring that up. That's like a cheap shot, isn't it? But I want you to know, kids, that isn't going to be the most important thing in life. I want you to know that God is and you are going to be the most important thing in this family, in this life. What a difference that would make. So to stop the dominoes, it takes a choice and it takes separation. And we should do that not only because it's biblical, though that's reason enough. There's another reason we ought to do it, because it works. I mean, it really works. Last week we looked at all the negative stuff that happens when you have fatherless families. But you ought to know the flip side of the coin is really good. All the great things that happen with fatherful families. 
Listen to these things. A study was done in the UK, in England. 17,000 children were studied. They were born in 1958, and they were followed up at age 7, 11, 16, 23, and 33. They, They kept studying these kids throughout a lifetime until they were 33. This is what they discovered. The kids, those children that were involved with their father, have less emotional and behavioral difficulty when they reach adolescence. Teenagers who feel close to their fathers in adolescence will live more satisfactory, satisfying adult marital lives and have better relationships. Girls with strong relationships with their father in adolescence will lack psychological distress that plagues many people in adulthood. That's just one study. Others have been made. Here's another one I found, a 26-year longitudinal study where they kept following up people. Researchers found the single most important childhood factor in developing empathy is paternal involvement. You see, it works. You want to raise a generation of kids who care about others? Care for them. Because they're saying the involvement will create caring, empathetic individuals. Now, you might be hearing this thinking, Skip, uh, with all due respect, you don't have a clue about my family system. You don't know about my kids and my family and my life. And you're right, I don't. You might think, my kids are so busy, you know where they spend their time? Well, actually, I'm glad you brought that up. Because I think I do. USA Today reported, this is where teenagers spend their time. They did a research poll. Here's the average number of hours per week boys and girls say they spend doing things. Surfing the Internet, 16 hours a week. Writing email, 17 hours a week. Who are they writing? You ought to know that. Working at a job, 8 to 10 hours a week. Homework, 8 to 12 hours a week. Exercising, 6 to 7 hours. Volunteering, 3 to 4 hours a week. And you're thinking, that's exactly my point. They're busy, and I'm busy. So there's an agreement. But where do they want to spend their time? Studies suggest this. Here's the quote. If I could, I would spend more time doing what? That was the question that was posed to the students. Nine percent said, if I could, I would spend more time studying. That's only 9%. (laughs) 17% said, if I could, I would spend more time at a paying job, which means they're working for free for you. If I could, I would spend more time, 22% said, working out, 44% said, with friends. 50% said, if I could, I would spend more time with my family. That's the heart. That's what they want. Well, they don't do a very good job telling me. And I know that systems get weird and family things get weird and entrenched. We talked a little bit about that last week. But that's the heart. They want you. Let's look finally at Joshua's own personal choice about his family. He makes a personal choice here. That's how it's written. Personal and collective for himself as well as communal for his whole family. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. 
I'm going to serve God with my family, Joshua is saying. I'll paraphrase that. Okay, Israel, for the last 400 years, look at what God has done for all of us. And you know what, Israel, I can't speak for all of you. I can't make a decision for the entire nation. I can't tell you what you're going to do, but I can tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to honor God as a man, and I'm going to do that in front of my kids and in front of my wife, and they're going to see it. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Now, here's the principle. The principle is this. Our personal spiritual commitment should affect every relationship. Our personal spiritual commitment should affect every relationship we have with everyone we have it with. Hudson Taylor was a missionary to China. I met his great-grandson a couple months ago, I told you. Hudson Taylor said, If your father, your mother, your sister, your brother, even your cat and dog in your house are not happier for you being a Christian, it's a question whether you really are. Does your personal commitment affect other relationships? Now let me take the edge off that last statement, because it could come off really harsh or condemning. I want to take the edge off of it. It doesn't infer you're to have a perfect family. Like we said last week, get that out of your mind. Ain't no such thing as a perfect family. Every family tree has to have some sap, right? (laughs) The trouble with being a parent is that by the time you're experienced, you're unemployed. Just when you get a handle on it, they're gone. So it doesn't mean perfection. What Joshua is doing here, this venerable gentleman of the nation, what Joshua is doing is something that was taught to him. It was a template that had already been given to him by Moses, the guy who was before him. Remember, he worked as Moses' assistant for a long time. And he heard the laws of God, and he watched Moses. And Moses said something to him. He was there when he said it, and he took it to heart. And it's a pattern of passing on truth. I want you to see it, and we'll close. If you turn with me to Deuteronomy chapter 6, we'll close there. Deuteronomy chapter 6. Moses, God's spokesperson, is giving commandments to the people of Israel. Verse 1. Now this is the commandment, and these are the statutes and the judgments which the Lord your God has commanded to teach you, that you may observe them in the land which you are crossing over to possess. That you may fear, there it is again, honor, respect, reverence the Lord your God to keep all his statutes, his commandments, which I command you, you and your son and your grandson, all the days of your life, and that your days may be prolonged. Therefore, hear, O Israel, and be careful to observe it, that it may be well with you, that you may multiply greatly as the Lord God of your fathers has promised you a land flowing with milk and honey. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. God gave his commandments. Now, how were they to respond to what God commanded them? Verse 5. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. And these words which I command you today shall be in your heart. Number one, it's personal. It's personal. Joshua made a personal choice. As for me, 
There's a second component. It's collective. It's communal. Verse 7. You shall teach them diligently to your children and talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, when you rise up. Verse 20. When your son asks you in time to come, and he will, saying, What is the meaning of the testimonies, the statutes, the judgments which the Lord our God has commanded you? The day your son says, Dad, why do we have all these rules? Then you shall say to your son, We were slaves of Pharaoh in Egypt, and the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand. So here is God's pattern of passing on truth in these verses. It goes from parent who personalizes it, makes a choice, separates, makes a stand, and then from parent to child, which equips that child when he or she grow up to do it again and again and again, and it gets passed down. A parent is a partner with God in discipling his or her kids. I don't know if you know this or not, but I'm going to tell you something I I think you'll find fascinating and alarming. Toy makers watch carefully the divorce rate in our country. Did you know that? Toy manufacturers study the divorce rate, and here's why. Toy makers know that when divorce goes up, sales of toys skyrocket. So divorce for them is good news. They watch it. And here's why sales of toys skyrocket. Because what happens is when you have two parents and now four parents and eight grandparents and there's a division that people want to win the affection of that child and they'll buy them toys, buy them stuff. You've got to let them know that they're important. Here's a toy. I understand that. But they don't want stuff. They want you. They want your heart. You say, boy, my heart's broken. They, they want your broken heart. Be honest, be vulnerable, be broken, and watch healing happen. Go as broken as you are before them. So how do you stop the dominoes? How do you stop the cycle of failed and broken relationships? Well, you do it in your community, and you do it in your home, in your community. And there's several opportunities that will be in the foyer today for you to look at from adoption to child sponsorship, to big brother, big sister. And if you don't even want to get formal, you can just invite your friends or your child's friend who's a little bit disaffected into your home. Have them eat a lot of meals with you. And let them see what that family is like. Love those kids. Watch what happens. And then in your home, you make a choice. I'm going to follow God. We're going to follow the Lord if you're willing to follow my lead. You know the verse, train up a child in the way that he should go. But to train up a child in the way that he should go, you've got to walk that way. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we are so glad that you have left your Holy Spirit to fill the lives of men and women and grandparents and children and everybody who would be willing to receive Christ. You're willing to come inside, give hope, bring forgiveness, 
and then give all of the necessary help to heal relationships, to secure the home. Lord, it begins with that first and very important step of making a personal commitment to honor you with our lives, to say we're going to live by your truth. It's a wholehearted and a life submitted to your truth. Lord, I, I want to pray for not only all of us, because we all need your help, we all need your spirit, we all need to make a choice, we all need to separate from things. Help us to do that. But Father, I pray for those who don't yet know you personally, who haven't yet stopped to turn over their lives to Christ. They've come to church, they've been outwardly good, they've been religious, they believe some good things, but they've never come to a place to be born again by releasing their sins and receiving the Savior. I pray they do that today. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for your attention during this latest briefing on Homeland Security, Peace in Times of Terror. Remember, this briefing is not classified and should be shared with everyone. If, while listening to this briefing, you made a decision to find assurance of salvation through a relationship with Jesus Christ, contact our well-trained staff immediately. They will provide you with resources that will equip you to deepen your relationship with the only real source of peace in times of terror. Call toll-free 1-800-922-1888. That's 1-800-922-1888. And you can also contact our offices by addressing any correspondence to The Connection, P.O. Box 95707, Albuquerque, New Mexico, 87199. Online resources can be found at ConnectionRadio.org and HomelandSecurity08.org. Thanks again for your attention, and please plan now to attend next week's briefing at this same time.